Blog Talk Radio.
Mamba Mubiai, Mulubawaji Tanta. Wawawaka Yeme, Mwena Menshi. of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Saturday, uh, December 4th, uh, 2021. We're broadcasting live uh, from our studios in downtown Detroit. Later on in our program, uh, we'll be coming up uh, with our regular Pan-African Newswire report. And uh, we'll have uh, dispatches on the claims by the Ethiopian government that it is making advances against the TPLF rebels. In other news, the Sudanese mass organizations are continuing to reject calls from from outside the country to accept a deal between the restored Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdak and military coup leader General Abdel Fattah al-Bahan. Egypt is reporting on the activities surrounding the opening of the Luxor Museum, and France is attempting to fortify its relations with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. In the second hour, we listened to a briefing from the African Center for Disease Control and Prevention on the status of the pandemic on the continent. Finally, we review uh, some of the most pressing and burning issues in Africa as well as throughout the international community. These and other features will be brought to you during the course of our program. 
Stay tuned. We'll take our interlude uh, with the illustrious music of Sona Jubate of the West African state of Gambia. Let's listen in. I'm not a team. 
is about love i mentioned jarabi i would like very much if you could join us on this song we you we you jarabi 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 for those that can do two things at the same time to clap and sing Yeah, or half. 
Okay, this next song is entitled Mama Muso.
Join together, please, on this one. First, hands. Se vuol si fa 
Sin ni 
I wonder if I may be able to get you up for this. Really? This, as I said, is for the elders here tonight. I know all of you have someone that you would like to pay homage to, so this is for them. Yeah? Banaya, Nanayana. Banaya, Nanayana. Banaya, Nanayana. Banaya, Nanayana. Banaya, Nanayana. Banaya, Nanayana. Mansaya, winning banana. Banaya, Nanayana. Banaya, Nanayana. Banaya, winning banana. Banaya, Nanayana. Banaya, Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the music of Sona Jubarte uh, from the West African state of uh, Gambia. And uh, there are elections uh, that are taking place uh, in uh, the West African state of Gambia today, uh, December 4th. The polls opened uh, inside this West African country uh, earlier today. Uh, Voters uh, were using a unique voting system. Uh, marbles were dropped in each candidate's ballot drum. It's going to be a tightly fought uh, presidential election uh, that will test the stability and democratic progress inside the country. It is Gambia's first election since uh, the former president, Yahya Jame, uh, was, of course, uh, moved out of office and went to exile uh, in early uh, 2017. Uh, Jame uh, who was defeated uh, by an opposition coalition that was backed uh, by the current president, Ademar Barrow, fled to uh, Equatorial Guinea uh, in 2017. Uh, he had, uh, for several months, refused uh, to step down uh, charging that was massive uh, fraud in the election process. Uh, there are several candidates, and uh, we'll be covering uh, the outcome of the election uh, over uh, the Pan-African Newswire. Uh, during uh, the next uh, few days, and uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire uh, segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. And I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. And our lead story, uh, as well, uh, deals with the current situation in the Horn of Africa state of Ethiopia. It has been over 10 days now since the Ethiopian Prime Minister released his last mobilization message in which he announced he himself is marching to the battlefront. Ethiopian Defense Force, Afar and Amhara Special Forces, and Fano were mobilized and deployed at the areas where the Tigray People's Liberation Front had a major military buildup and fortified strategic position. In the Afar region, uh, the battle in Shifra gave the TPLS a major blow, leading to a series of losses in several other towns in the region. The TPLF reportedly lost thousands of forces in the region. In west, uh, in the Amhara region, the battle was in the Kashina, uh, where the TPLF had reportedly a six-kilometer-long trench and fortress. But its holdings came to an end as the defense force Amhara region special forces and Fano uh, entirely routed the military stronghold in Gashina. The military victories attained in the Afar and Amhara region did not come as a surprise. Uh, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, who has been on both fronts, uh, extrapolated about them. Today he appeared in a different battlefront. The Ethiopian Broadcasting Corporation and the state media released a recorded video of Prime Minister Abiy speaking from Egolo and West Wolo in central Ethiopia. He reiterated that the TPLF forces are defeated and in disarray. 
The next step of the military campaign is to clear TPLF forces and that the Ethiopian forces will clear many cities in central Ethiopia from TPLF fighters. Kamisi, uh, Kambosha, uh, Dese, and Waldo are among the cities the Prime Minister sees as towns that will be free from the TPLF in the next two to three days. TPLF is demolished, he added. He called on Ethiopians in the area still under TPLF control to organize themselves and make sure that the TPLF forces are not escaping with their arms. He also called for Ethiopians to treat the captives and wounded enemy with dignity. The TPLF has not yet released a statement since the devastating defeats in two key military strongholds in the East and the West. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. In the Republic of Sudan, the Sudanese Professional Association yesterday uh, rejected calls by the United Nations Secretary General to accept a deal struck by Prime Minister Hamdok and the coup leaders in the Republic of Sudan. In a joint press conference with the chairperson of the African Union, Musa Faki, uh, on December the 1st, Antonio Guterres said Sudanese should support the compromise because it paves the way for a democratic transition. I believe that questioning this solution, even if I understand the indignation of the people, would be very dangerous for Sudan, he further stressed. This call transgresses, quote, the will of the Sudanese street, which rejects this agreement and its outcome. Further, it indicates and dictates to the Sudanese that they should do uh, whatever, uh, said the spearhead of the Sudanese revolution. The Sudanese Professional Association underscored that Guterres repeated the threats of the coup leaders when he warned about dangerous consequences if they continued to resist the military and reject their deal with Hamdan. The Sudanese professionals further called on a call to hold Guterres accountable for endorsing the justification advanced by the coup leaders and disregarding the mandate of the United Nations to preserve and protect fundamental rights, especially freedom of expression. Stephanie Dujart, United Nations Secretary General spokesman, on Thursday sought to clarify Guterres' statement about the political agreement signed by Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdak and the coup leader, Abdel Fattah al-Bahan. Uh, this was on November the 21st, 2021, when this deal was announced. Dujark uh, stressed uh, that the deal was, quote, an initial step, but more work should be done by the military rulers. Urgent and serious steps by the authorities are needed to reaffirm the commitment of the Constitutional Declaration and paved the way towards free and fair elections leading to a civilian democratic order. He added, statement dismayed by Sudanese. Several uh, political leaders declined to comment, but confessed they were surprised by this unexpected support to the junta. In a statement on November 22nd, the Forces for Freedom and Change rejected the Hamdok-Burhan deal, saying it breaches the goals of the revolution and the key reforms paving the way for democracy in Sudan. The political coalition, which co-signed the constitutional declaration with the military component in 2019, pointed to justice for Darfur crimes 
and killings of civilians in Khartoum before and after the revolution, in addition to the reforms of the security sector that places the army under the authority of the civilian government. On December the 2nd, United Nations Secretary General Representative in Sudan met with the head of the Sovereign Council, El Bahan, to recall him uh, that they uh, expect further uh, steps to consolidate his deal with Hamdok before the resumption of international support to Sudan. I reiterated that while we cautiously welcomed uh, the November 21st agreement as a first step towards the return of the constitutional order, the agreement itself does not constitute a return to this order and that other critical steps need to follow, said Perthes. And, of course, uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. And uh, in the North African state of Egypt, uh, behind every piece of art exhibited at the ceremony marking the opening of the Avenue of Sphinxes, there were scientific studies, artistic skills, and many stories to tell, according to Naveen El-Arif uh, of the Al-Aram newspaper. The article goes on to say they're reviving the ancient Opel festival from Karnak uh, to Luxor temples across the avenue of the Sphinxes uh, with a modern twist meant the organization of a long process without making a single mistake about the beliefs and traditions of the ancient Egyptians. The procession held in late November took place on land and along the Nile as the ancient Egyptians transported the Bakus of Luxor triad deities from Karnak to Luxor temples. Another parade along the Nile took place as illuminated sacred boats floated on the water and pharaonic music was played to dance performances. The manufacturing of the three sacred barques that once took uh, the triad of the Luxor deities, Hamun, Mutt, and Konzo, from Luxor to Karnak temples was carried out carefully after reviewing scientific studies and inscriptions engraved on ancient Egyptian temple walls. And finally, uh, France's president and Saudi Arabia's crown prince held a joint phone call uh, with Lebanon's prime minister during Emmanuel Macron's visit to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia earlier today in a significant gesture amid an unprecedented crisis between Lebanon and Saudi Arabia. Uh, during the calls with Prime Minister Najib Makati, uh, Macron said France and Saudi Arabia expressed their commitment to Lebanon despite Saudi Arabia's uneasiness with Iran's sway over the small Mediterranean country. Macron did not, however, say whether punitive measures targeting Lebanon by Saudi Arabia and other Gulf nations would be revoked. The kingdom withdrew its ambassador from Lebanon last month, with several Gulf states taking similar action to protest their frustrations with Iran-backed Hezbollah domination of Lebanese politics. Riyadh also banned imports from Lebanon. The Lebanese information minister, whose comments sparked the crisis, resigned on Friday, paving the way for the French leader to start dialogue with Saudi Arabia. Minister George Kodahi had criticized the Saudi-led war in Yemen against Iran-backed Ansarullah revolutionaries. Kodahi backed by a Hezbollah 
the resistance in uh, Lebanon and refused to resign for weeks, prolonging the crisis that affected hundreds of Lebanese businesses and millions upon millions of Lebanese people. And with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswatch segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal. In concluding this segment, we'd like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then it has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to uh, the Pan-African Newswire uh, so you can stay abreast of all of the uh, most important and substantive issues uh, taking place on the African continent and indeed throughout the international community, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to have uh, access to today's uh, Pan-African Journal, this worldwide uh, radio broadcast, all you have to do uh, is go uh, to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. The programs can be shared with other potential listeners via emails, uh, blogs and websites, and social media networks such as Facebook and Twitter. This is Abayomi Azikawe. Uh, we'll take a break. Uh, we'll be back with more of our program for this week.
Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the music of Detroit's own Motown sound, The Marvelettes, uh, The Stranger. And uh, right now we want to move into the briefing uh, from the African Center for Disease Control and Prevention uh, based in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Uh, the Director General, Dr. John Kangason, will be providing uh, this briefing on uh, the most recent developments involving the COVID-19 pandemic, the Omicron variant and other variants uh, on the African continent. The African Center for Disease Control and Prevention uh, is an affiliate of the African Union. Let's listen in. Good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you're joining us from. And uh, we are coming through to you from the African Union headquarters in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, bringing you the usual Thursday morning Africa CDC media briefing on the state of the coronavirus on our continent of Africa. My name is Wayne Musabayana, and uh, we are joined by Dr. John Nkenga Song, who is the director of the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Africa CDC. Of course, he's going to be giving us the full details on the situation of COVID-19, as we've stated, and also perhaps delve into the issues of the new variants that is really topical and that has been topical over the past week. So um, when you do come to the question and answer section, we do have that usual WhatsApp number. Please make sure you utilize it. But you can also come through live on this platform as well as use the question and answer section. Well, for now, it's time for me to hand over to Dr. John Nkengasong, the director of the Africa CDC. Dr. John, it's over to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Wayne. And um, greetings, colleagues, and uh, the media, everyone who has joined and usually joins every Thursday. And apology for the slight delay. We were having a little bit of challenging, uh, challenges this morning connection. So let me, um, as always, do the following, give you an update uh, on the epidemiological situation of the COVID-19 on the continent and then discuss the vaccination and vaccine situation. And I'm sure that uh, we are going to be having a very engaging uh, conversation on the, the variant, the Omicron. So first of all, let's start with the epidemiological situation, where as of today, uh, December 2nd, a cumulative number, uh, total of 8.6 million people have been uh, reportedly infected with COVID-19 on the continent. Of that number, Unfortunately, 223,000 people have died uh, across the continent. And over the last uh, couple of, of, of weeks, uh, the five most populous countries in Africa that account for at least 61% uh, of all caseloads include South Africa with 34%, uh, Morocco 11%, Tunisia 8%, Libya 4%, and Ethiopia um, 4%. <clears throat> when you look at the, um, the numbers of countries that are going through the third wave, the fourth and fifth wave, the numbers have not changed significantly. We still have uh, 46 countries that have gone through the third wave. Uh, 11 countries, as I stated last week, uh, are currently going through the fourth wave. But importantly, uh, Mauritius is now going through the fifth wave. So that is the only change uh, from last week. 
However, uh, it is important to notice that the situation with the variant is changing uh, uh, very quickly. Uh, 45 countries have reported the Alpha variant. Uh, 41 countries have reported the Beta variant. 44 countries have reported the Delta variant, with Djibouti now uh, reporting that variant, which is the newest country, uh, addition to the list of countries. Um, two member states are reporting the, um, the Gamma variant, and four countries are now re in Africa are now reporting the Omicron uh, variant. And we all know this variant was initially uh, 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 picked up by the good surveillance systems that the, South, the government of South Africa and the scientists have put in place. And the countries include South Africa, uh, Botswana, Nigeria, and Ghana. And on this note, I really want to join others in recognizing and congratulating South Africa, uh, the, the leadership for being a very transparent and timely so and the scientists for the extraordinary work that they've done in picking up this variant. And not just this variant, but we also recall that the beta variant was uh, initially picked up due to the uh, extensive uh, uh, state-of-the-art surveillance work that goes on in South Africa in terms of pathogen genomics. When we look at the trends, if you compare last week and this week, we observed a total number of uh, 52,300 new cases, 52,300 new cases, and that represents a 105% increase in the number of new cases compared to last week. And we'll explain why uh, this uh, rapid increase there. If you look at the curves, we have been going down very nicely. That is burning the daily, uh, uh, seven days daily moving average very nicely, but there's a little bit of ticking up in South, in South Africa and mainly attributed to this variant, and that is why we see this uh, sharp increase there. So if you now look at um, uh, different countries with uh, reporting the highest number of new cases, we have South Africa with 31,000 cases. Remember, out of the 52,000 new cases, 31,000 are coming from South Africa, Egypt with 6,000, Libya uh, 3,800, Mauritius 1,200, and Algeria 1,200. So that explains that 105% increase there that I just mentioned in terms of new cases. So it's skewed towards uh, the, the situation in South Africa, which is driven uh, now beginning to be driven mainly by uh, the, the, the Omicron variant. So if we now look at the new deaths, it, as of last week uh, to today, a total of 938 new deaths have occurred and that represents an 8% average decrease in the number of new deaths. <clears throat> if we now look at the next, the last four weeks, then that is specifically with the period between um, the 1st and the 28th of uh, November, we notice a 20% average increase. Remember that picking up is contributing to this, uh, now contributing to this increase where we have enjoyed a downward trend all the time. And the distribution looks as follows. A 153% increase in Southern Africa, 34% decrease in Central Africa, 19% average decrease in Western Africa, 7% average decrease in East Africa, and 1% average decrease in Northern Africa. If you look at the polling breakdown by the most populous countries, 
We have South Africa with 196% average increase, DR Congo with 45% average increase, Ethiopia with 25%, um, 22% average decrease, Nigeria 19% average decrease, Kenya 14% average decrease, and Egypt 0.3% average uh, decrease. In terms of new deaths over the last four weeks, uh, we have uh, we observed a 9% average decrease over that, that, that same time period. Our testing situation continues to be stable with a, a cumulative number of 82 million tests conducted since the start of this pandemic. Just last week alone, about 1 million new tests were conducted, and that represents a 26% average increase. In, in terms of vaccines, and vaccinations, uh, a total of, uh, as of today, a total of 417.5 million COVID-19 doses have been uh, uh, procured by 54 member states in Africa. And of that number, a total of 235.8 million doses have been administered. The total coverage, that is the number of people that are fully vaccinated, has edged up slightly to 7% on the, pop, uh, on the population, with Morocco leading the charge with um, a total of over 60% vaccinated, Egypt 14% fully vaccinated, uh, South Africa 34%, uh, Algeria 11%, Mozambique 8.9%. Uh, now, this is the percentage of population fully vaccinated. If you stratify this by the eligible population, that is the adult population vaccinated, some of these numbers are significantly higher, like uh, South Africa will probably be around 35% to 40% of the eligible uh, uh, population vaccinated. Um, the African Vaccine Acquisition Task Team has distributed a total of 22.4 million doses of vaccines as of last week. Just last week alone, that is from the 25th of November to the 1st of December, 3.2 million doses of the GNJ vaccines were distributed to seven African member states. And they include Mozambique, Burkina Faso, Rwanda, Egypt, Gabon, Congo, Republic, and Ethiopia. Now, uh, the good news this week is that uh, you, we all read this, the big story that the Aspen Group in South Africa will be having a license to produce uh, the, the Johnson & Johnson vaccines locally. There will be a, li a license production, not contraction, which was remarkable news that uh, we need to, to celebrate. We are beginning to see uh, good progress in terms of manufacturing of vaccines uh, on the continent. We need to celebrate that. Let me just end by saying that on Monday and Tuesday, uh, of next week, we will be hosting a meeting, a very important meeting in uh, Kigali, where we will be at the head of state level, where we will be discussing pathways for the, the continent to issue emergency use authorization for vaccines as they come online. I just talked about South Africa. We hope that in the coming months, you get uh, that other countries like Rwanda, uh, Rwanda, Senegal, and others begin to uh, produce vaccines, and that will require uh, that the continent uh, develops a mechanism for approving the, the vaccine through the AMA, the African Medicine Agency. 
Thank you so much for your attention, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you very much. Uh, that was Dr. John Nkenga Song, the Africa CDC Director. We now move straight into your questions, and uh, I can see that there are a few hands that have gone up. So let us start by saying good morning to Gabrielle Steinhauser, who is with the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Gabrielle, please, uh, good morning, and uh, go ahead. Good morning. Thank you so much. Um, how concerned are you about the um, COVID situation in Southern Africa and South Africa specifically, given that, at least in South Africa, we've seen this huge jump of cases with the new variant just over the last week or so? Um, is the Africa CDC doing anything to help countries prepare as their public health systems might come under pressure? And are you concerned that the travel bans will lead to shortages of some of the equipment and, and other, you know, other things that countries need to deal with this huge surge in case, cases? Thank you. No, thank you. We are definitely very concerned with the situation in Southern Africa and South Africa in particular. You saw the numbers that I just um, uh, uh, discussed with you. And, but we are not worried that uh, uh, the condition, the situation cannot be uh, managed. Remember, this will be the fourth wave that we are going through the continent. So we've become uh, at least uh, more prepared to deal with this uh, wave that come in and go. I mean, remember, this was the situation just in, in August where we are dealing with a very brutal and aggressive third wave. So we know how to deploy uh, uh, rapid responders. We know how to deploy commodities. We know how to um, provide uh, um, the interventions that are necessary. But we have been preparing for this for, for the longest, which is, remember, our message has been that as we were at the trough of this pandemic, which is the lower end of the, the transmission, what I call the low transmission season, that was the period to increase vaccination. And we have been saying this for, for the longest, that I, I was absolutely clear that just the other week or the, pre, the, the few weeks ago that we will be facing another wave. What is worrying, however, is that we are moving towards the end of the year holiday season. And my concern and worry is that uh, as people move around more, uh, there's a greater risk that there will be uh, these infections will continue to increase. And we expect to see really an outburst towards the end of December and, and January time period because of the holiday uh, season there. So I think um, Africa CDC knows what uh, uh, to do. We've been dealing with this for doing the, uh, the third wave, which was very, very aggressive. In multiple countries, we deployed swap things across supply materials and to many, many countries, and we were preparing uh, for this uh, uh, just as we did for the last uh, wave. And I don't recall the last, uh, your last question, uh, what was it again, about the supplies. We, I, I believe that um, Hopefully, as we know more about this variant, that uh, the ban on the flights to uh, South, Southern African countries will be lifted. And as the variant spreads across the world, I think there are about 23 countries now that have reported this variant. I also interpret the, the, the ban that there were uh, uh, just uh, early measures taken to blunt the spread of, of the variant. Uh, it's very difficult to, to, to stop these variants from, from spreading when they, once they're out there. But it is my hope and wish that these bans should be lifted real quickly so that uh, South Africa will continue to get the supplies that they need. 
All right, uh, thank you very much, John. Let's move on now to Paul at the podium. Hello, Paul, please go ahead with your question. Yeah, um, thank you very much. Uh, so, Dr. John, I have uh, uh, three questions. For you. The first question has to do with um, the Omicron uh, variant uh, itself. And uh, when you look at um, the conversations around uh, travel restrictions not working, uh, the response from experts that I've been talking to regarding this uh, is that uh, travel restrictions actually allows uh, countries to better prepare and slow down the spread um, of the variants among their populations. And um, we've also been seeing some African countries uh, giving intentions, uh, suggestions that this could actually happen. So I would like a comment on that. Um, and uh, in addition to that, uh, we are also seeing conversations around some African countries uh, putting the blame on which are countries not releasing doses. But we also see cases where millions of doses have been made available to some African countries, but these have not been quickly rolled out uh, as quickly as this would be. Uh, so I would like uh, your response on that. If anything can change to quickly accelerate the rollout of available doses for Africa. And the last question, which is really, really important in the situation in Nigeria. Uh, prior to the Omicron, uh, previous variants in Nigeria were, uh, were reported reported uh, by the professor Appilet Laboratory. But we now see the NCDC now actually be the one also carrying out sequencing. So I'd like to know uh, if this is part of the structuring, if how, how effective you think uh, a regulator doing the sequencing on its own uh, instead of uh, maximizing the available networks of sequencing capabilities that the country currently has. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. Um, the, the Omicron uh, variant, as you, you rightly said, um, when countries uh, react to, so, so let me let me step back and say this: that um, we all we knew and everybody knows that uh, uh, rest, travel restrictions have never stopped this variant from uh, spreading, for sure. Uh, uh, we also know that if you uh, that countries react in a way that uh, is never been coordinated in this pandemic. There's nothing that in this pandemic has ever been coordinated across um, uh, the world. I mean, Africa has done well to have a coordinated joint strategy, but you can see that when people see uh, these variants emerging, uh, there's total um, individual countries react differently. And our recommendation and that of WHO uh, uh, is aligned that our restrictions uh, do not really uh, uh, hurt. But again, I have to respect what our individual countries do uh, in interest of protecting their, their citizens. I think um, the, the first responsibility of every nation is to protect their citizens. Whether those measures are actually effective or not, I think as, uh, countries try to do that. Clearly, uh, as I said in the introductory remarks, um, South Africa, the South African leadership must be recognized and appreciated for the transparency, the timeliness of sharing this information. If everyone around the world was doing that, we would be at a very, uh, a, a very good place. I mean, a very, very good place. I think we need to give our hearts to the government of South Africa. We also need to recognize the, the uh, researchers in South Africa, uh, Professor uh, Tullius Group, 
And we have been working, as you know, in a network with them as part of the Africa CDC's Pathogen Genomic Institute. So, so I think that the, the, the reaction there is what we need to do going forward is to have a coordinated approach uh, for uh, these variants, to managing the variants, because we know that uh, there will be another variant, I mean, for sure. We are, uh, we, and we also know that we will deal with this variant, for sure. And we, there's a lot we don't know yet about the variant, and there's no, uh, no need to panic. Uh, we just need to be patient and understand the, the variant. I know that we are not helpless. I think today, uh, Paul, we are flooded with many more tools on, on, on the battlefield against this uh, 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 virus as a whole. It's, it's still the same COVID. So, I mean, the same public health measures that we have been using for the last two years, especially in Africa, uh, 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 applies to this variant. Uh, we have vaccines out there, and that, that is a nice segue to uh, the discussion, the second question about vaccines. Uh, vaccines are beginning to flow on the continent in a very predictable and steady manner. Uh, we are all, like you, very concerned that um, countries are not uh, picking up those vaccines. Uh, the uptake is not as we would have loved to see. Uh, we are on the drawing board, uh, putting our heads together to see what can be done to governize that uptake. In the coming weeks, we will be uh, summoning a meeting of all ministers of health so that we can come together, put our heads, our minds, and souls together and see what we can do to increase that uptake. So we are not indifferent to the situation. We see this uh, as, um, as something that must be dealt with. I, mean, I must say that we have to uh, treat vaccinations in Africa as programs. Now, the acute phase of this uh, uh, pandemic is over, in my view. We have to look at vaccines as a program and then join, uh, develop the right partnerships uh, across the board so that and use the whole of society and whole of government to try to roll out these vaccines across. But we truly don't have a choice. We have to use those, those vaccines there. So in the coming weeks, we will do our part by convening, using a convening ability to bring all ministers together and, and discuss and find a pathway. we we'll also, at that meeting, be building more partnerships across the board so that we have a consolidated strategic approach on how to uh, increase vaccination. With respect to Nigeria, uh, it is very normal that the Nigeria CDC should be uh, sequencing and, and, and uh, sharing the information. And I think the work is just to uh, it's huge out there to sequence the viruses there. So I believe Nigeria CDC will definitely be able to do some of the sequencing, but other, other uh, centers, like the, 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 the center that uh, Professor Happy, Christian Happy runs, uh, uh, and others should be able to work in a network to support the work of Nigeria CDC, with Nigeria CDC uh, doing its own uh, a part of the, the sequencing. So I don't know if this, this is a question that, that you asked with respect to Nigeria CDC. No, um, the question is, uh, point, uh, look at, if you look at the report from Nigeria, even though the news is dead that Nigeria has uh, reported Omicron, if you look at the GSAID uh, genomic database, the sequence is not still available. And this is not consistent with how things were before uh, with previous uh, reports from Nigeria, where the report is actually connected with the release of the sequencing. So I wanted to know whether is um, the uh, conversion of the NCDC into this capability as that it has actually limited the quality 
of uh, genomics surveillance uh, in the country, or from the perspective of the Africa CDC, looking at the at the way sequences have been coming out of Nigeria, uh, is the pattern improving, or has this really been reduced to what used to be before? So I, I think, from as you rightly said, I mean the perspective of Africa CDC, and which uh, countries organize differently, and I truly don't know how the internal uh, structures within Nigeria are, are set up. But I would think that. Uh, uh, sequencing and releasing those uh, sequences should be the natural functions of the Nigeria CDC, just as the U.S. CDC, China CDC, and other CDCs of the world do. I mean, Africa CDC uh, doesn't yet have laboratories, but in future, when they have laboratories, they, it is expected that the Africa CDC will be the custodian of those uh, uh, sequences across the continent and will share them appropriately there. So, I think um, I'll, I'll leave that up to the internal uh, mechanics uh, within Nigeria, which I'm not really uh, privileged to. All right, uh, thank you very much. Uh, let's move on to take a question that comes through online. Um, we have uh, inquiries from both uh, Coletta and uh, Vinicius who are asking a question that you've responded to, unless you have any additional comments and that is about the message to countries that are banning travel from some um, African countries. But as I say, you've touched on that already, but Coletta goes on to then ask, with the advent of the Omicron variant and the developed countries uh, are rushing to use booster shots, where does that leave us as a continent? Uh, and on this continent, she uh, states that we have not yet achieved herd immunity. I think that's a very good question. Um, as I said earlier, our vaccine situation is improving. That is, you continue to get a, 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 a regular supplies of, of vaccines across the continent now. We are not uh, in, in a situation where we were three months ago. And I, I hope that by December ending and January, you even see more. So, the, and which means the vaccine production pipeline is improving as well. And it doesn't need to be a zero-sum game where countries do boosters and then Africa doesn't have vaccines. So, I think the, the production capacity is ramping up in, in, in the uh, Western countries. Donations are also increasing uh, uh, from uh, uh, countries that have the vaccine. The United States. It has made some uh, significant donations. Uh, you just had the announcement from, I think, the, 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 the Chinese. But let me just focus on what has been donated. Okay, yeah, that is going on the continent. Uh, together with what Avat is producing, is supplying. As I said earlier, Avat has uh, shipped out about 22 million doses of vaccines. If you convert that into a double doses, they represent 44 million doses of vaccines. So I think we are making uh, uh, progress there. The, the thing is that boosters, the question of boosters should be guided by science, by good science. So if you ask my views on the boosters, I'll say that in Africa, those uh, the uh, people that are uh, above 60 or so should be getting their boosters because we clearly see that uh, depending on the vaccine type, you get a reduction in the uh, immune uh, uh, neutralizing antibodies after six months. And that correlates also to the severity of the disease. Those with uh, um, underlying diseases, especially the immunocompromised individuals, should be having their boosters. But that is where I'll limit it. I would not recommend general uh, vaccine, uh, boostering of the, 
of younger people on, yet on the continent. But again, we'll see how the, what the data says uh, next year. So I think it's, a, it's work in progress. We will continue to observe the science and use the science to drive the, the booster issue. But the key thing which I count on all of us to do is encourage countries, use your respective influences to enable our citizens to go out there and get their, their, their shots because the vaccines are there. Countries are actually, uh, some countries are actually delaying uh, the, the, the delivery of their vaccines, including the deliveries from, from, from Harvard. So which tells me that the uptake is not as, as good as it should be. So we cannot blame it on, entirely on boosters. We should also be looking internally to say, what can we do to improve our own uptake of uh, vaccines? All right, uh, thank you. Let's uh, now say hello to Sophie Mukwena, calling from the SIBC in South Africa. Uh, good morning, Sophie. Or good afternoon. Good Good, good morning. Um, I just want to find out, in terms of the figures that Dr. John Kengerson spoke about on uh, rising cases, when you look at the death toll or fatality, the Sorry, Sophie, your microphone was muted for a while. Can you just start again from the beginning? The first question is, when you look at the number of cases, yes, we see an increase, particularly in South Africa and generally on the continent. But when you look at the death toll, there's a decrease. What could be the reason? Does it mean that... Uh, this new variant might not be, or it is not as deadly as your Delta and your Beta. And we know that Delta is still the main variant that is in circulation around the world. And then the last question, the variant. I think for many people right now, the question is how effective are the vaccine. Have you received some preliminary information in terms of the behavior of this new variant against vaccines that we have now? Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Sophie. There is um, there's very little we can make uh, any conclusions for now with respect to the, the, the severity or the uh, mortality related to the new variant. So epidemiologically, you first of all see the increase in number of cases, and then you begin to see the deaths follow, right? Because people don't just get infected and then they die. You get infected, then you, you may be sick for, uh, 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 you get infected, you, you start with asymptomatic phases, you get to their symptoms, the severity of the symptoms, then uh, you might recover or you die. So it, it takes time before you see, you begin to see uh, 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 dead rates catch up with the new cases. That, I mean, that is just typical of what you call the natural cause of an infection. So it is only uh, in the course of the next two weeks or three weeks that we'll begin to see the number of deaths uh, go up, if they do go up. Uh, if we go by what we have seen so far, just what we call anecdotal cases, the, the, um, 
the doc doctors in South Africa that described this initially uh, uh, saw patients that were uh, uh, coming down with very mild symptoms, uh, itchy throats, not necessarily a cough, fatigue, mild symptoms. They didn't even hospitalize them. And they look around the, the, the South Africa, it was a very similar picture they were seeing. The case that was reported recently in um, uh, just yesterday in, in, in uh, I believe this was in California, uh, from tra someone traveling from South Africa had very mild symptoms and had been vaccinated as, as well. So it was a breakthrough infection. It, it's not unusual to have a breakthrough infection. I mean, we do we see that all the time, uh, even with a non um, even with the Delta strain and the, the, the and other uh, variants. So. We, we just don't know much about the clinical picture of that, but early signs from uh, South Africa, this is what we call case studies from South, uh, South Africa reported, uh, referred to mild symptoms, but we'll see in the next two weeks. So that is one. The second question is, would the vaccines be effective against uh, this variant? For sure, I can, uh, I can as a virologist, I can say that uh, the vaccines will be effective. The, the question would be, what is the level of effectiveness and that would you be having a 100% effectiveness or you have a decrease in effectiveness? Remember these antibodies are very, um, they are very robust. They can really, they do many things for us. I mean, so it, in other words, they, we, they can blunt this variant, but we just don't know how effective, how level, you know, how, how high they will be uh, for sure. We also remember that it is not just the antibodies that are protecting us. There's what you call the memory T cells. Okay, there are two arms of your immune system. One is your B cells that produce these antibodies, the so-called neutralizing antibodies that normally decrease with time because you are not seeing the virus all the time in your immune system. But then there's the T cells, uh, which is, uh, the, they, they are the killers of, of those infected cells in your body. Uh, infected cells with the virus, they, they just don't fit. They, they remain there for us uh, for, for a very long time. So, uh, uh, in as much as we should be concerned with this variant, uh, we will just need to wait for two things to happen in the coming weeks. And in the just perhaps in the next week, at the end of next week or the week after, the answers will begin to be clear. So, two things will happen. Researchers will take blood samples from people that have been vaccinated with all kind of vaccines, uh, all the vaccines that we have. They'll put that in the test tube, take the virus that they will grow, or they'll create an artificial virus, mix it with these uh, blood samples, and see whether the blood samples from those individuals that have been vaccinated will neutralize the virus. That is the beginning of the understanding of that, because effectiveness studies, which is looking at the population, how effective the vaccine is in the population will take time. So the first thing we usually would do in the laboratory is to do what I just described. So that will teach us whether the vaccines are effective or not. And the answers can be made available in the next week or two. The second thing that uh, will happen is that uh, blood samples that have been taken from people that have been naturally infected but not vaccinated will be do the same. They will take that, that blood because blood has been collected across the world and stored in laboratories and they will take that blood, mix it with the, the virus, and see how the virus behaves in, in that scenario. So those two experiments, we hope that the results will be available in the next week or the next two weeks, and that will give us an idea of whether the, the current vaccines will be effective or not. All right. Uh, thank you. 
I'm going to take another call and uh, please excuse me. I'm going to just be looking away for a while because I'm using a separate device uh, to access the questions. So this one is coming from Ayanat Mercy, who is with uh, Reuters. So she was also asking about how sick uh, the new variant uh, makes people. Uh, but then she goes on to say, how does this new variant affect those with comorbidities? And does it affect the children differently? Then she has another question where she says, how many countries are able to sequence the variants of viral genome and identify it? Or are all countries using the Thermo Fisher testing kits? Yeah, so for the first part of the question, the clinical spectrum of, of that is what I said, which we don't know for now. Uh, that will require that, uh, and a lot of those answers will need to come from South Africa because of the, the large number of cases that are there. And this is what will happen. Each time a new case is admitted in the hospital, they will look at the clinical picture and then compare the clinical symptoms uh, uh, to the existing uh, spectrum of symptoms that uh, we know. So that is what doctors will do. But again, it is a question of time before we know that. And it's also a question of time before we know if the new variant will be affecting children or not. We just don't know. Uh, uh, not infecting them, but whether it will cause disease in them, because clearly children are vulnerable as well. So we just have to be patient and, 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 and know that uh, we are not totally helpless. Uh, uh, we have the, the, the public health measures do apply to everything. You cover your nose, you wash your hands, social distance, open windows in an enclosed location, they all work against all variants. They go out, get their vaccine. And, I mean, they work against the variants. As I said, they may not be 80% effective, the vaccines, but it will not be 0% effective. And anything that you have on your body is better than having nothing against this until we know more about this, this variant. So I think that is uh, uh, what we know in terms of the clinical spectrum. With respect to country sequencing, remember I've said uh, several times on this platform that the Africa CDC pathogen genomic network uh, is spread out across the continent. I think we have supported many countries in establishing and their, their own capacities and capabilities, including extensive training. So I think I expect to see that uh, these variants will be picked up across the continent very more uh, uh, readily. And uh, uh, what Nigeria is doing is great. Uh, Ghana has also picked that up. And my only uh, appeal to the continent is that we should continue to have a coordinated approach. Picking up a variant in a country doesn't mean that the variant started there. It only means that you have good surveillance systems in place and it must be applauded. All right, uh, thank you. Good morning uh, or good afternoon to Janice Q. Janice, please just give us your news agency and then ask your question. Hi, I'm Janice Q from Bloomberg News. Thank you for taking my question. Um, <clears throat> I also have uh, three, so I'll try and be very quick. Um, the first one was, uh, you know, in, in the last few weeks, you spoke extensively about rolling out rapid um, speed tests across the continent. And I was wondering how that has been going. Um, I know that you were talking about um, extending the lull that we were seeing at that stage um, through rapid testing. Um, and I was just wondering if, if we quite got there before this you know, announcement was made about the new variant. And no, whether, no. And whether, the, and whether um, 
you know, the, the rapid tests were in fact um, helping to take the, the variants as far as we can see. Um, my next question was very much in line with what somebody asked earlier, but just to take it a little bit further, um, I know that um, you said, you know, there's pretty good um, supply of vaccines across the continent and um, Africa CDC is working with other agencies to ensure that uh, there's better uptake. But if we get to a situation where we need updated vaccines, um, are you concerned at all that wealthy countries will again rush for supplies of those? Um, or are there better, is there better communication going on between globally um, to ensure that if, if we need updated vaccines, um, it's, it's you know, done more equitably across the, the world? Um, you know, and, and again, around issues of, of third mutations, um, you know, equitable um, vaccine distribution has been one of those issues that, that keeps getting raised in, in the light of, um, you know, further mutations and the risks around that. So, no, thank you, Janice. Uh, I think um, we at Africa CDC had anticipated that we will get to this moment, the moment of where you go to the, 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 the fourth wave. And that's why we're very keen to, to initiate a, a huge campaign of testing about 200 million people, uh, rolling out antigen tests. And that process is, we, we continue to ship antigen tests, but we really want to be more partnership and be more ambitious and try to get to uh, 200 million in the next six months. Okay, so and we, we, we remain hopeful that once that is launched, that initiative is launched, it, it is, uh, it, uh, we need to do, it's the right thing to do uh, as we go from wave to wave and the vaccination situation remains uh, very uh, low. So um, yes, we continue to ship uh, antigen tests, but we want to ramp that up and build more, bring more partners to get to at least 200 million tests by the next six months. It's uh, an ambitious target, but it's something that we like to do. So in the coming weeks, I'm sure that you see uh, us inviting you all with President uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, who is the COVID champion for the Africa uh, uh, Union, uh, 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 to launch that campaign and, and with, with other head of state. Uh, the antigen tests do work against over Remember this, uh, the antigen tests are really, um, they, they, they measure something different. They look at proteins, the viral proteins, whereas the PCR, the polymerase chain reaction, is a molecular test. It looks at the genetics and not the protein. So the antigen tests, I have no doubt that will continue to be uh, very, very effective. Uh, with vaccine updates, why don't we uh, be patient and see if we need uh, to uh, update the vaccines? Uh, uh, because for now, we just don't know, uh, Janice. We just need to wait in the next few weeks or so. We'll know if uh, there will be need for the, 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 the update. But even if that happens, I mean, and if you take the messenger RNA, it will be a question of replacing those uh, the, the, the insert, the, the RNA, the messenger RNA that goes into uh, uh, the, the vaccine production, factoring in what we, what we know. So I think it's not like starting a new vaccine production side. It will be a question of just replacing uh, the, the, the genetic material and science has evolved so, so much. But again, let me not go ahead of myself. And let's all wait and be patient and see what will happen in the next uh, few days if uh, the vaccines will continue to be uh, effective. The first signals will come from what I just described earlier, what you call in vitro studies, uh, studies of mixing the virus and, and the blood of infected people and all vaccines. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ramaphosa. Um, 
Thank you very much, John. Let's say hello to Erin Bates. Erin, please introduce yourself and then proceed with your question. Thank you. Uh, this is Erin Bates from Business Day newspaper in South Africa. Um, Dr. Ngenga Song, if I may ask, in fact, three questions. I initially posed two, uh, but they're all short. The first is, have you done modeling on the anticipated figures and locations of the outbursts you've described late December, early January? Secondly, what role has the African CDC played in talks on preventing travel bans or urging for their lifting, uh, especially in the case of the latest variant? And then finally, the meeting you've described with ministers coming up, which will discuss vaccination uptake and driving that, when do you expect that to take place if you can give either a date or a window as to when you want to schedule that meeting with ministers and how many ministers from how many countries would you like to partake? Thank you. So let me start with the last question, Gwen, Erin, uh, um, moving backwards. We, we hope that the week of December 20th is what we are aiming to convene all AU member states, all AU, all 55 AU member states. So that is the date and that is the scope of the, the meeting. Um, with respect to the travel ban, uh, you saw what Africa CC, uh, we were the first uh, to issue uh, a, 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 state, a communicate, a statement uh, uh, cautioning that uh, what the, the, the effect of travel ban will, will mean. And I'm sure now the EU, the African Union, has now uh, taken a position, which I'm, you can, I'm sure you can read that um, uh, on the Africa, uh, uh, the AU website. So I think that is what uh, we, again, Africa CDC was the first to take a stand. Uh, uh, immediately this variant was uh, described and you can Google and see what uh, we said. In terms of modeling, we've always um, resisted to not project models because uh, mostly these mm -hmm. models uh, are based on assumptions and we truly don't have all the assumptions that we need to do this model. If you recall, at the start of this pandemic two years ago, there were modeling that showed that within six months, uh, three million Africans would die. Okay, and here we took an exception to that because we look at the assumptions and we're not very comfortable with those assumptions. And uh, guess where we are today? Today we have 230,000 deaths uh, after two years, but the prediction was that within the first six months, three million would die. So we really are always very skeptical to do modeling uh, because it truly doesn't have many variables that will enable us to, to do those modeling. What are those variables? Uh, variables on true rate of testing, uh, true rate of mortality and excess deaths, and true rates of the, the, I mean, we now know, as I've explained before, that the, 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 the current number that we have is uh, a, a grossly underestimate of people that have been exposed to and infected with, with COVID-19, right? So we, we know this now based on serology, which is uh, taking blood of, from people and, and testing to know if they have been exposed to or are currently infected with, with COVID-19. So with all of that, all of those gaps, you always have a tendency of uh, your modeling not to be uh, where you, you really want it to be. So I think uh, we'll leave the modeling for those who do that for a living, but we'll not um, be doing modeling for that. Rather, our focus is to in invest in strategies and campaign strategies that will help us blunt the peak of that, uh, uh, the, 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 the foot wave or the feed wave. 
All right, uh, thank you very much. Let's say hello to Dr. Diallo. Dr. Diallo, please give us your news agency and then ask your question. Dr. Diallo, are you online? If not, uh, let's move on to a question that's coming from Oiti Penyang Daniel. And uh, Oiti says, I just want to know what the Africa CDC is doing to accelerate manufacturing of vaccines in Africa instead of depending on donations. A lot. So I invite you to join us in Kigali next week, Monday, Tuesday, to get an update. If you recall, we hosted a very large meeting of about 40,000 people last April to catalyze the continent and, and advocate for vaccine manufacturing. I'm very pleased that uh, on Monday and Tuesday, we'll be providing head of state update on where the vaccine manufacturing situation is on the continent. Very, very encouraging. And as you know, uh, Rwanda, Senegal, South Africa, Egypt, Morocco, uh, uh, Ghana, Nigeria have all lined up, and some of them are at very different stages of vaccine production on, on the continent. So please join us next week, Monday, Tuesday, for a live update on this situation. All right. Uh, thank you. We have another question that's coming in from Vinicius Assis, who says, how many infected people, or rather, how many people have been infected by the Omicron variant in the four countries that you mentioned. And also, could you please release the number per country? And out of those who were infected, how many of them had already been vaccinated? I, would not, I don't have that information for now. We just, uh, the cases in Nigeria, Ghana are still cases reported, uh, dictated, but we just don't know how many more people, because contact tracing is still going on. Uh, until, I mean, you have to give it time. Uh, hopefully by the end of uh, next week, you begin to see the numbers. But for now, it is just a case. So somebody, somebody is diagnosed and, and then they sequence it, they pick it up. And after that, the contact person will start to find it, to see who in their contacts have been infected or affected. Um, South Africa, of course, is more advanced in this, but we still don't have the numbers yet. What, what, mean, what, what I mean is that South Africa will need to look at the new cases. And when anyone comes down with COVID and they, sequence, they will sequence it to see if that person is coming down with a, a COVID due to the Omicron or the, the Delta variant. So you see, it will take some time before we unpack that and give you all those answers. All right, thanks. Um, Judith Akolo, uh, writing from the Kenya Broadcasting Corporation in Nairobi. Um, says she wants a clarification on what you meant when you said the acute part of the pandemic is over. So, the, the, uh, Judith, that's a very good question. There's um, what we have, uh, the acute phase meaning the reaction. We are reacting to, to, to something, okay? That is, uh, uh, we have to admit that it will take time for us to, uh, to, to, to fight this pandemic. Uh, if you look at our vaccination rate, we are at 7% today. How do we get to 70%? So we need to really step back and say, how are we fighting? How are we going to fight this pandemic in 2022? So let me just step back, uh, Judy. This is a very, very important question. And with your indulgence, I'd like to explain a little bit more. The, in 2020, the only tools that we have in our hands were the public health measures, right? 
wash your hands, cover your nose, social distance, uh, 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 places were shot. That's all we had because we had no vaccines and no treatment. In 2021, the situation evolved uh, where we, vaccines were made available. We were surprised by the speed at which vaccines were made. So we now had two tools. We had the public health measures that we used in 2020 and then, then the vaccines. Uh, the vaccines were not fully accessible in, 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 in uh, Africa and developing countries, but uh, most developed countries had an option where they, were, they used a combination of vaccines and public health measures. We are now beginning to have the vaccines available in Africa, so we also have those options available. In 2022, you have three things, three things going on. Uh, uh, drugs that, uh, uh, will be available. Uh, we are working very hard behind the scene to work with Pfizer so that uh, Paxlovid, which is the new drug that have shown an 89% effectiveness will be available. So you have three things going for you in 2022. The drugs, which require testing, you test before you treat, and then secondly, the vaccines, and then thirdly, the public health measures. So that's what I mean by the acute phase that we are reacting to something uh, is over. I mean, uh, we have to look at a program and say, with these three tools, there is massive testing, rollout of vaccines, and potentially the treatment. What do we do? How, what kind of program do we design to carry that forward? That's what I mean by the acute phase is over. We have to look at more uh, the, the chronic phase of this disease. I don't think any disease that you're dealing with for three years, uh, uh, so next year will be the third year, is, uh, can be described as an acute uh, phase of it. I mean, the acute phase is usually within the first six months to one year, and uh, that is over. Remember 100 years ago, the, the Spanish flu, the pandemic, that happened. within one year, six months, it was over, okay? Uh, and it had killed I mean, 50 million people and it was over. Here we are moving into a third year. It means we are slowly getting into, we, we, are, we are out of that acute phase and we have to look at this as a program, as a disease that we need to, to fight it for the long haul. That's what I mean. Uh, mm -hmm. All right, uh, thank you. Let's take a question from Addis Getachew, and um, Addis is with Anadolu News Agency. And he says, is there a scientific basis or technique uh, by which we can gaze ahead into the future and get a sense of a timeline as to exactly when COVID-19 pandemic will begin to go away? And he goes on to say, you said that there would be another variant in the future could we predict how many more variants um, as well as their potency? I wish we could do that. Uh, and, and I'd be very pleased. I'm a, uh, as I said, I'm a virologist, and it's very difficult to predict how these variants will, will, will emerge. Uh, uh, but what for sure you know is that as the virus continues to uh, uh, replicate uh, and circulate, it will mutate. So especially in those with uh, immunocompromised uh, immune system, that virus will struggle or the individual will, will struggle to uh, clear the virus. And uh, the more that struggle continues, the more the virus wins and then mutates and then produce uh, a, a, a new variant. So that much we know that it, 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 it will be the case. Uh, I say this from my experience with HIV. Uh, we started with HIV with a few subtypes and by uh, uh, just a few years down the road, there were many subtypes of HIV. So you continue to see this RNA virus uh, mutate and produce a more, I mean, especially where 
and if the virus continues to circulate, I mean, it's a recipe for new variants to emerge. But whether the variants will be more uh, uh, dangerous than the current one, we just don't know. It's difficult to, to, to predict. So um, the Omicron situation will teach us because of the excessive number of mutations that are out there and at the critical side that the mutations are occurring, it will teach us a lot as to what the future holds for us. All right, uh, thank you. I think we'll take our last question for today. And uh, let's say hello to Sarah Jervin, who is online. Sarah, please go ahead with your question and you're with DevEx. Thanks so much. Um, can you please talk about the significance of Aspen licensing as opposed to contracting the, the vaccine? And then secondly, uh, will we receive login information for the Monday, Tuesday conference on manufacturing? Is that um, kind of open to the media? It is open to the media, and uh, uh, so we will send that um, link. Uh, uh, our communication team is on this call. Mm -hmm. They will definitely share that link with uh, everybody. And the, the, the difference between contracting and, and licensing is that, I mean, you begin to have, I mean, the best way to describe it is what you have in, uh, with the Serum Institute in India. The Serum Institute in India has a license from AstraZeneca to produce the vaccines, and that's why you call them uh, uh, the a COVID sheet, right? So that is a license that they have. It's not a contract. If they had a contract, they would just produce the same vaccines like the ones that they have in the UK. So the, the vaccines that uh, the Aspen will produce now, they can actually give it a name. It could be uh, Johnson & Johnson Africa or I'm making up or Afrivax would be, they can brand it. I mean, that is the difference. It's a very different thing from what they were doing before, which was exactly what Johnson & Johnson just said to them, you have a contract to use your, your supply line to produce the vaccine. So that is, uh, I mean, which means that the Aspen Group is really the, the, the equivalent of, the, sorry, the equivalent of um, uh, um, the Serum Institute in India for, for this particular vaccine in Africa. All right, uh, thank you. Before we go on to your last comments, let me just read out um, an announcement that has come from our communications team behind the scenes. And um, Neke has sent this announcement and she says it's a special announcement that there will be a special press briefing on Monday the 6th of December after the opening ceremony of that important uh, conference in Kigali. And journalists can register and he has sent the registration link so you can look it up in your chat uh, box and get that registration, registration link so that you can take part in that conference. Alternatively, he says that you can confirm your participation by sending an email to divine at rwandaevents.com. And that is divine at rwandaevents.com. So it's time now for you, Dr. John, to give us your final summary points from the briefing today. No, thank you. So when I think my first point is related to the topic we are dealing with this uh, week, which is the Omicron virus. I mean, my message to the continent would be there's absolutely no need to panic. Uh, you've heard me insist during this uh, press conference that we have the tools available to fight uh, public health measures are effective against all variants. Uh, this is not a new virus, it is a variant. So we have all the tools that, uh, uh, that we've been using for the past two, two years. Second is 
in order to fight this uh, virus is to mobilize the population and get out there and get vaccinated. Um, if you get yourself vaccinated, it is already a step forward in preventing uh, that, that uh, from being um, from falling sick due to this uh, variant. So I think vaccination vaccination is so important uh, as a measure. And last message, uh, Wayne, is that uh, as we move towards uh, the holiday season, I would ask that uh, really appeal that people celebrate with, with safety in mind. Uh, celebrate with safety in mind. If the entire family is vaccinated, it is okay to go in there and celebrate without masks. Uh, but if uh, you are receiving strangers, even indoor, put on your mask mm -hmm. uh, so that we can avoid uh, the spread of this uh, uh, variant, which we still don't know a lot about it. Anyone who knocks at your door and comes in is just, and who is not vaccinated is a threat to even you who has been vaccinated. So again, let's take vaccination. If you want to celebrate uh, 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 happily and, and, and in a more relaxed and peaceful mode, let's go out and get our people vaccinated. So I thank you, as always, for um, attending this very important uh, press briefing. Thank you so much. That was Dr. John Nkenga-Song, the Director of the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. One last announcement from our communications team is that that notice is also available on the WhatsApp group. For those who are on that group, please just uh, go and check it out so that you can get the link directly from there. But uh, for now, it's time for us to close our briefing for today. And uh, let's say, let's meet again on Monday um, and again on Thursday next week. Bye-bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Welcome back. And uh, that was a briefing from the African Center for Disease Control and Prevention uh, in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. The Director General, Dr. John Nkangasong, and his staff uh, handle uh, the briefing, the weekly briefing uh, from the Africa CDC. We'll take a brief break. We'll be back with our concluding segment of the Pan-African Journal for this week.
Martin Vandela's uh, Motown Zone, Nowhere to Run, Nowhere to Hide. And uh, we're going to move into our concluding segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal, Worldwide Radio Broadcast uh, for Saturday, December 4th, 2021. And we're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Let's listen to uh, Africa Live from CGTN. This is CGTN, China Global Television Network. Hello and welcome to China Global Television Network. This is The World Today. I'm Beatrice Marshall in Nairobi. Here are your top stories. China releases a report explaining how democracy works in the country. U.S. President Joe Biden says he's crafting a plan to discourage Russia from taking military action in Ukraine. And scientists are racing to understand whether existing vaccines are effective against the Omicron variant. China has released a white paper on its governance system, including the whole process of people's democracy. Yang Shanchan has a story. How does democracy work in China? The State Council Information Office released a white paper on Saturday to answer this question. The documents says the Communist Party of China has developed what is called a whole process people's democracy as a key concept to translate democratic values into effective institutions and concrete actions. The essence of people's democracy is the people's status as masters of the country. Whole process people's democracy integrates process-oriented democracy with results-oriented democracy, procedural democracy with substantive democracy, direct democracy with indirect democracy, and people's democracy with the will of the state. It is a model of socialist democracy that covers all aspects of the democratic process and all sectors of society. It is a true democracy that works. The White Paper also explains China's democratic institutional framework, as well as its concrete and pragmatic practices. It points out that democracy is not a democratic declaration, but should address the issues that concerns the people. It also emphasized that democracy is the right of the people in every country, rather than the privilege of a few nations. The White Paper says whether a country is democratic or not is judged by its own people rather than by outsiders. China develops whole process people's democracy within China and is committed to promoting the democratization of international relations. China believes that a country, whether big or small, strong or weak, rich or poor, should be equally treated in international relations. China will not copy another country's political system and will not require other countries to take China's model. China believes the world is diverse and colorful. Every nation should have the right to choose its own democratic way. 
This white paper also emphasized democracy has many forms, and China's democracy is thriving with other countries in the history of the world civilization. China is ready to contribute its experience and strength to global political progress through mutual learning and cooperation. Yang Shenshen, CGTN, Beijing. Earlier, we spoke to current affairs commentator Aina Tanjen for more on how the whole process of people's democracy works and how it differs from the U.S. democracy. China is interested in actually representing the different segments of society. They're not going to rely purely on an election process to do that. If you look up the makeup of the you know, different countries, whether it's the U.S. or Europe, you tend to see very wealthy uh, people, uh, people from certain uh, areas of commerce, law, etc., overrepresented, whereas the common people are underrepresented. That's not true in the uh, Chinese system because they apportion these things. China is highlighting the fact that they believe that it's about always about results. It's about pleasing and taking care of your own people. Uh, China has an over 97% approval ranking after COVID-19 handling uh, by its people in terms of confidence in the central government. That's versus 25% in the U.S. So there's a real sharp contrast. For the last 40 years, uh, the U.S. has experienced kind of sideways motions when it comes to its economy, to the actual wages that are paid to people. Uh, and there's a lot of dissatisfaction. You can see it, uh, not only in the massive amounts of anger, but the uh, social and political divisions that are happening there. You don't see the same thing in China, and this is what China is trying to get. It's not about ideological lynch mobs trying to force you to, do, to please them because their systems aren't working. It is really about the uh, people of China. U.S. President Joe Biden says he is preparing new initiatives to discourage Russia from taking military action in the Ukraine. Tensions on Ukraine's border with Russia have been a key topic at a meeting of the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe this week. And U.S. and Russian leaders could meet to discuss the issue in coming weeks. Stuart Smith reports from Moscow. This is something that the Russian President Vladimir Putin has been pushing for for many weeks. And initially, the United States seemed uninterested in such a summit. There was one earlier in the year. The U.S. didn't feel the need for another. But clearly something's changed. Potentially, it's the buildup of troops itself. And Ukraine's expressed this huge concern about what that could mean for its border integrity. Ukraine is worried that Russia will, quite simply, invade. Now, Russia says it has no intention to do that, and it's free to move troops around within its country as, as ever it sees fit. But this is now a likely to be discussed by the two leaders at that level after talks earlier in the week between the United States Secretary of State Antony Blinken and his counterpart, Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. They said that it was a productive meeting to hear each other's views, but that there is too, there is too much difference of opinion as things stand. In particular, Russia wants a uh, legal text with the United United States that promises NATO will not continue its eastward expansion. This is a huge bone of contention for Russia over the past 30 years. It's been worried about more and more countries in Eastern Europe joining the military alliance, which it feels threatens its national security. So President Putin would like to see assurances that won't happen, that Ukraine will not join NATO, and that NATO will not deploy medium-range missiles in Ukraine. Stuart Smith, CGTN, Moscow. A lot remains unknown about the latest Omicron variant. The variant has a large number of mutations, specifically on the protein spikes. 
These spikes help the virus attach itself to cells in our bodies, and this has led to concerns amongst experts over the efficacy of existing COVID-19 vaccines. Drug makers Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca say they are working to quickly investigate as well as adapt their coronavirus vaccines. They added that they can adapt their mRNA vaccines within six weeks if needed. So far, breakthrough cases of the Omicron have been reported amongst those who have been fully vaccinated. Many of them only present mild COVID-19 symptoms. For a deeper analysis on this issue, we spoke to Dr. Aslam Dasso, the co-convener of South Africa's Progressive Health Forum. So one first has to understand that a vaccine is a clone of the virus, only without all the dangerous bits. And so what the vaccine does is pretty much what the virus would do if it infects you. The vaccine stimulates an immune response. Now, if the virus should change in any way, then the immune response that you have elicited through the vaccine may not be enough to, to stop the, the changed virus from infecting you. And, uh, you know, that's why different patterns of infection occur. The, all indications are from preliminary uh, data, uh, all the indications are that the virus is more transmissible than, than previous variants. We are seeing this in the increased and rapid growth of the number of infections wherever the Omicron variant has been found. The International Monetary Fund says it could lower its global economic growth estimates. IMF Chief Kristalina Georgieva says the Omicron variant, which may spread very rapidly, could dent confidence. She added even before the new variant was detected, the IMF was concerned that economic recovery is losing momentum. The IMF's recent forecasts raised concerns that the global supply chain issues and uneven distribution of vaccines were slowing economic rebound. Georgieva also noted that policymakers are now dealing with inflation as a surge in demand in many advanced economies, coupled with shortages of key components, is fueling price increases. Iran's chief nuclear negotiator says talks to revive the 2015 nuclear deal will be continued next week in Vienna. Ali Bagheri leads the first Iranian delegation sent by Iran's hardline president, Ibrahim Raisi, who took office in August. Tehran has presented two draft proposals on sanctions removal and nuclear restrictions. Gary says he hopes the other parties will reach their conclusions in the shortest time possible. France, Britain and Germany say Iran is demanding major changes and it is unclear how the new gaps can be closed in a realistic time frame. The Iran nuclear deal has been on life support after the Trump administration left it in 2018. A year later, Tehran retaliated by breaching some of the deal's limitations on enrichment and other restrictions. Journalist Isan Kivani tells us more from Tehran. The most notable consequences of the seventh round of talks in Vienna for Iran was the inaction and passivity of the European Troika as they wanted to check every single issue with the Americans. Uh, Bagheri criticized uh, the EU for adopting minimalist approach towards uh, their commitments on their Iran nuclear deal. Uh, Iran says it has provided the other parties with clear-cut draft proposals and has encouraged them to come up with written responses or new ideas. 
Iran's top uh, negotiator, Bagari, says the E3 are minimalist in fulfilling their JCPOA commitments. Uh, President Raisi administration believes either the European Troika do not have enough political uh, will or they lack the required capacity to address problems caused by the U.S. violation of the JCPOA and Resolution 2231. So Iran expects the E3 to act uh, and decide independently and faster. Uh, if so, promising results can be expected uh, next week in Vienna. The next week, you know, the expectations are high. Uh, the Western media especially try to blame Iran for not helping the negotiations go forward. Uh, but just before leaving Vienna, uh, Bagheri, in fact, denied an impasse in recent round of talks. And for the next week, uh, if we see a serious will from the other side and faster movements, uh, I think Iran is ready to uh, help progress much faster as well. And we'll leave it there on this edition of The World Today. I'll be back shortly with more news from the continent on Africa Live. Thank you for watching. So this is it. I'm just about to be shot. Bottles are being thrown as they do so. Uh, we there are about have three critical <laughs> bridges <laughs> here in Malawi. That's one of them. We're going to cross that bridge. As you can see behind me, police forces who are replying with gas. Gas just came in. So it's all now. Divisions leading the charge into West Mosul have brought us here. This is where most of the fighting has been concentrated. This is the front line now after nine days of fighting. We're about two to three kilometers from Within the front line. Clear view of this front line position. China Global Television Network. Minister 
Americans kill at least 31 people in the latest attack in Mali. Gambians to vote for president in the first democratic election since 2016. And African countries in race to vaccinate more people as concerns grow over the Omicron variant. Welcome to Africa Live on CGTN with me, Beatrice Marshall in Nairobi. Also coming up on the program. In business news, Zambia reaches an agreement with the International Monetary Fund for a $1.4 billion support plan. And in sports, South Africa is weighing options after their World Cup qualifier appeal against Ghana was rejected by FIFA. We begin the broadcast in Mali, where militants have killed at least 31 people in the central part of the country. Local officials say the militants opened fire on a bus ferrying people to a local market. The bus was attacked as it travelled its twice-weekly route from the village of Songo to a market in Bandiagara. Jihadist attacks have surged across Africa's Sahel region, killing thousands and displacing millions across Mali, Burkina Faso and Niger. And to get more details on the attack, we earlier spoke to Mamadou Tapili, a local journalist from Mali. Take a listen. Of course, what else we can say about this attack is to understand that uh, uh, these jihadists, uh, it seems to be a revenge against, uh, against uh, the uh, militia of uh, auto-defense uh, called Dana Ambassador in the zone, who is the, the only militia standing and fighting the jihadism in the, uh, in the Dogon country, in the area, in that zone of Dogon country. Because last Tuesday, four days ago, the jihadists came to attack one of the bases of those hunters, uh, which told us by many people, many jihadists have been killed by the hunters in that zone. So four days later, this happened to the civilians. And then um, apart from those who get injured, the bus was burned up. And no any specific organization has claimed uh, the responsibility of the attack. But what we can say, in this zone, you have uh, two big militia groups, uh, two, group of, two jihadist groups. The first one is uh, the GSM. This is the, the Sustain group of two Islam and Muslim, uh, led by the... Uh, the Katiba of Martina called Ahmad Kufa, and the, which is now linked to the Assembly of Yad Agali, and Yad Agali is with Al-Qaeda. So firstly, there's Al-Qaeda members, and there is an Islamic state in that zone. But mostly in the part of Banjangara, this area is mostly uh, 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 control. I mean, uh, the more attacks of Ophir is made by the group of, Kuf, of Kufa, of Ahmad Kufa, but they did not claim the responsibility so uh, for the moment, they didn't claim the responsibility. And for the authorities, I mean, the prefect and the mayor in Bajangara, they attended to the, uh, uh, to the, to the morning of, uh, to the funeral of those, uh, uh, those persons that lost their life yesterday. But uh, there were not any specific declarations about, apart from the support that they bring to the populations to try to uh, present their mourning, uh, I mean, uh, to, the, for the, to the populations. Elsewhere in Nigeria, Islamist militants have killed seven soldiers, including a commanding officer and a lieutenant in Bono State. The militants attacked a military outpost in three trucks, firing sporadically for an hour. The incident is said to have occurred in the wee hours of the morning. 
Nigeria's military has fought an Islamist insurgency in the northeast part of the country for more than 12 years. The United Nations estimates that the conflict had killed some 350,000 people by the end of last year. The polls have opened in the Gambia's presidential election. Gambians are casting their votes not with ballot papers but with marbles. That's right. Voters will choose their next president by placing a marble in the drum of their preferred candidate. Nearly 1 million people out of a 2.5 million population are registered to vote. It is the Gambia's first democratic election since former President Yahya Jame was voted out of office in 2016. There are currently six candidates vying for the presidency. They include the incumbent president, Adama Barrow. Each individual is going with only one token. So you cannot, uh, it's not possible for you to put in uh, two drums or, or so. That is not possible. So the only thing is you, each individual has one marble and you can put in one uh, ballot drum. So I don't think, I think it's transparent and it is, uh, it is fair. And then I think most Gambians understand uh, the process. So we are not going to have any problems when it comes to this uh, particular elections. The United Nations spokesperson, Stefan Juracic, says there will be a funding shortfall of about $1.2 billion to respond to the humanitarian needs across Ethiopia. Durajic says conflict in northern Ethiopia has continued to drive large-scale displacements, loss of livelihoods and limited access to markets, food and basic services. According to the UN spokesperson, about 3.7 million people in Amhara, more than 500,000 people in Afar, and 5.2 million people in Tigray are being impacted by the conflict. Durajic says about 400,000 of those people are believed to be facing famine-like conditions. Our humanitarian partners have limited access to large segments of the population across these regions, though there's been some improvements in the past week. As the Secretary General, and as we've told you, uh, between November 24th and November 30th, four convoys with about 150, with 157 trucks loaded with humanitarian supplies arrive in Mekele. Those were the first de deliveries since October 18th. Fuel, however, has still not arrived in Tigray via the Afar route since the 2nd of August, with eight tankers currently in Samara in Afar waiting for clearance to proceed. Meanwhile, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken addressed the ongoing conflict in Ethiopia. Blinken said sanctions remain at Washington's disposal. The U.S. has already sanctioned Eritrea for its role in the conflict. We have, uh, uh, we have not just the tools of our diplomacy. Yes, we have, uh, we have uh, sanctions authorities that we put in place. Uh, we've used some of them already against Eritrea, which has been, uh, unfortunately, a very negative actor. Uh, in this drama, those tools remain at our disposal. Uh, for others, if they are, uh, instead of trying to uh, engage in a diplomatic resolution of this problem, uh, perpetuating it. But we're in constant engagement and constant contact with uh, all of those who are working uh, to try to bring this to a, uh, to a close in terms of the uh, military conflict and, and get people off the battlefield and at the, at the negotiating table. That's what's so critical. And we can now cross over to CGTN's Girum Chala. He's in Addis Ababa for more on that story. Girum, how is the Ethiopian government responding to this remark by the U.S. Secretary of State? Beatrice, uh, some Ethiopian officials that we spoke to and we've asked their reaction 
on what uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken just said. Uh, they said that from the get-go, the U.S. government has been misunderstanding the ongoing conflict here in Ethiopia, and it is trying, according to them, it is trying to look at uh, the rebel group with the government which is legally elected, democratically elected, and that is a really a dangerous act according to them. Uh, Ethiopia also, by the way, complains that the United States has been unfair when it comes to handling the situation in this country. They say that the sanctions, uh, the, the restrictions that the U.S. has contemplated, including taking Ethiopia out of Algoa, was not only unnecessary, but also it was a the result of the miscalculation that we've been complaining about, they said. Uh, so uh, this is not a new thing, uh, and uh, the U.S. Uh, might continue doing so. And uh, uh, they say finally that uh, uh, the United States, if it comes with uh, more sanctions, and if that's what it takes to keep Ethiopia together to, uh, for the respect of its sovereignty and territorial integrity, then so be it. Uh, that's what the uh, top official, uh, unnamed top official that I spoke to, say to me. So in general terms, Ethiopia is not happy with the way the United States is handling uh, the conflict situation in this country. So, uh, Girum, the Ethiopian government also says schools will be closed for one week to allow students to help in harvesting crops for Ethiopians on the war front. What is the latest on that decision? So the decision of the government, Beatrice, uh, came at a time uh, where uh, Ethiopia is now in the, its harvesting season. And uh, the government said, and especially the Minister of Education is saying that it is a traditional... Welcome back. And uh, that's going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast uh, for today, uh, Saturday, December 4th, 2021. We've been broadcasting live uh, from our studios in downtown Detroit. We just heard uh, Africa Live. And uh, if you'd like to have access to today's program, uh, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. Programs can be shared with other potential listeners uh, via email, blogs, and websites, and being shared on social media networks such as Facebook and Twitter. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, just go to panafricannews.blogspot.com. We'll be closing out uh, with the Wynton Kelly Trio, along with the legendary Wes Montgomery uh, from the album entitled Smoking in Seattle, live at the penthouse from 1963. This is Abayomi Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful week. Hello, welcome to Half an Hour of Jazz, live and direct from the penthouse on King FM, coming to you live and direct from the penthouse, regular weekly feature here from 9.30 to 10 o'clock. Tonight we have Wes Montgomery on guitar and in the first half of the program featuring the Winton Kelly Trio. <laughs>